before you have it, you're standing in the desert. And the problem is you're walking through the desert and it can be hard to know if you're getting out to the oasis or actually walking further into the desert. And that has always stuck with me because I do think that can be what the journey feels like for sure. I'm excited to have you on, Rick. Uh, you've got some, uh, you know, impressive background here in Philly. You, you've got two two companies that are pretty well known in the Philly and abroad uh, areas. Boomi, uh, which you uh, exited to Dell and spent some time at Dell. Uh, that's like a DevOps orchestration automation uh, layer type of a, a platform business. And then uh, Guru now, which is like uh, I, there are a lot of similarities. I think B two B SaaS, but Categorically, it's so interesting how different they are. Uh, you know, the audiences and market segments that you're serving. Uh, Guru is more on like the knowledge base, wiki, internet, uh, you know, Chrome extension side of of the the SaaS world. So, uh, I just you know, let's let's dive in. I'd love to hear the stories of both. Uh, specifically, I'm really interested in hearing your ideation uh, phase stories, and then kind of like when you started to realize you had product market fit. How did you? grab onto that and scale it and, you know, grow through those, like, you know, that first, like, you know, million ARR threshold. And totally. uh, yeah, let's, let's dive in. I'd love to hear, hear more about your, your background on those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely two very different uh, things, as you said, um, Brian, and thanks for, thanks for having me on. Um, I think uh, one thing we were like, my co-founder Mitch and I were obsessed about is like Boomi is, uh, you know, I think a, a, a a, a vital category of like a thing enterprises really need, but is more on the, on the, on the, under the, under the hood, you know, how things run. Um, we would jokingly call ourselves plumbers and, and with guru, we really wanted to uh, go into the world of, you know, the end user experience. And that was what we did. But um, yeah, I mean, really the uh, origin story for guru all started through lived pain, lived experience at, at Boomi. I mean, we were, um, trying to create a source of truth for our employees. And it was, you know, different teams would need it for different reasons. If you were in sales, it might be consistency and message and positioning against competitors. If you were in support, it might be how to quickly find the answer to solve the customer problem. Uh, if you're in HR or leadership, it might be like, how do you get sort of the high signal important thing in front of the employees? You know, we've changed an OKR or an important update or something you're seeing in the news. Here's what to say about it if you're asked. You know, we we just ended up with this kind of patchwork of things um, to try to solve it. And I think the the, the biggest things we found is just adoption. People just wouldn't use um, systems like this. And we dug into why, and a lot of it was around trust. It, it, it's it can be hard to to create these systems, especially when you're using multiple tools, and um, the information will go stale, and uh, it's out of people's workflows. It'll be out of their minds. They won't, you know, remember to go there. You know, all, all of these sort of things. And we were like, boy, this is this really does seem like a vital problem, <laughs> and we 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 should we should really go and solve this, and 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 looked hard at the space and. Um, I remember the, the, the moment, the, like crystallized moment when I was like, we, we have to go and do this. And I was still at Dell at the time. And I was at a, I was at a Gartner conference and, uh, I walked into this session that was talking about intranets and was talking particularly about a vendor of an intranet, a big one. And, um, I walked in and kind of sat down in the back to listen. 
And uh, this big room of people, hundreds of people gathered, kind of like IT leaders, execs sitting in the room. And up front on stage, you have Gartner analysts. You don't have any, the vendor's not in the room at all. No one's there, but the customers are there. And there's this kind of tension in the room and the session starts and it kind of breaks down halfway through because people are just sort of, you know, like they'll have those microphones set up that you kind of walk up to. And people, you know, there's like lines forming the microphones. I'm like, what's going on here? And there's this like emotion starts to happen and 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 these these customers of this solution are 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 mad. They 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 want a cloud solution and they don't have it and they're talking about all these and they're they're hammering the poor Gartner analysts, right? And I'm sitting in the back and I'm like, where's the vendor in all of this? And the analysts are trying to field the questions. And I walked out and I was like, that is such a a set of emotional output around this category of software. And look how unhappy these uh, these people are. Like, like I've got to go and do this. And that was sort of like the moment. Um, I remember coming home, remember talking to my wife, Jan, and being like, like, like this is it. This is like sort of the next chapter for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I can... I can kind of jump into those early days up to 1 million in ARR, but yeah, that was, that was how it all started. I'm curious though. It's such a different sale. Like, you know, I, I don't know the exact price points, but I have to imagine like Boomi's probably like a multi five figure or six figure enterprise sale. You're probably charging up front for the year. Whereas like a guru is maybe like, you know, a few dollars per user per month kind of sale. And, you know, you probably try to do more like product led growth on the second one. And so it's like, you know how much that you learned from boomy applied to guru was it just like a totally did you have to relearn everything and like retrain everything you learned from the previous one it's a great question i mean i think the things that were transferable were more like company type things like culture and hiring and uh how to create a you know a a, a execution culture you know to your point, like business model, you know, yes, they're both B2B SaaS, but to your point, you know, very different buyer. Um, one, one is you, one has like Boomi was, as you said, you know, like a, it's called an iPass integration platform as a service. And like, if Boomi's Boomi is doing its job, if no one's using it, right. Like, like you automate things with Boomi, right. So, so the problems happen when uh, humans get involved, when it doesn't work, right. Once you set up these automations and sure you'll add new ones, but like it's very opposite, right. Whereas, whereas guru, the whole thing, and I'll share more about that sort of early traction, but like the whole thing's end user adoption with products like this. And so it's, it's like a, UX mattered, I think in both, but like UX had to be an obsession with guru. So a lot of that's different. I'd also say like the journey to product market fit also didn't really feel any easier. Maybe it's for all the reasons you're saying. It just, it didn't really feel easier. It felt like um, there's a there's an entrepreneur, David Cancel, and he talks about finding product market fit. He started like five companies and he says, um, like before you have it, you're standing in the desert. And the problem is you're walking through the desert and it can be hard to know if you're getting out to the oasis or actually walking further into the desert. And that has always stuck with me because I do think that can be what the journey feels like for sure. But yes, very different uh, all around. So I think that is such a great analogy. I'm going to steal that one from you at some point, (laughs) but uh, let's, let's play on that though. In both, both situations on the boomy and the guru, uh, so like the desert story, like the desert uh, metaphor you just shared, what was that like on uh, on Boomi? And when, yeah. so what was the ideation? Basically, when did you put yourself into the desert and start that journey? And then at what point did you 
realize you found the oasis and realize that, you know, you, you were headed in the right direction and, and kind of latch on in, in that direction. Totally. Yeah. The, on the boomy side, I mean, interestingly or, or not (laughs) painfully, maybe is a better way to say it. I think, I think the early chapters of boomy were pretty painful for us and they were painful because this is the on-prem software days. I think important, important point there, pre-cloud cloud really was the transformative. It's like early two thousands or yes. Yes. Product um, cloud was really the, the product market fit transformative of that before that, what we sort of stumbled in and realized was critical problem. Every business has it and there's a hundred solutions. So the problem was not do businesses care about this? Yes. The problem was differentiation. How do you um, stand out and get traction when you don't have customer stories yet, when you're just getting started, right? Like how do you, how do you do that? And I remember in those early days, Microsoft launched a product called BizTalk. And BizTalk was very much promising the same thing that Boomi was back then, which was, you know, integrations, this very technical thing, you have to write code. And we were saying, hey, let's let's make this more of a workflow, a configuration-based approach. Microsoft came out the same message. We're like, oh boy, this is, you know, this is rough. And so really what happened, I mean, to be totally frank, is like we saw things moving to the cloud early days. And so we're talking like 2006, 2007 early days, right? You had Salesforce getting some attention, but 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 a lot of really small companies still at that point. You know, a lot of, you know, you had maybe NetSuite or Marketo was getting ready to launch, but it, it was early days. What year did AWS come out? That was around then, right? Like 2006? It, yes. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, it wasn't real. I mean, it wasn't sort of like enterprise ready yet. I mean, we were, we were doing like, like good old fashioned hosting in a, in a data center still in our first cloud versions of Boomi. So that was all happening. And we said, okay, look, like we're, we're clearly fighting this, this, this very crowded market. Let's make a bet that, okay, if everything does move to cloud, the thing we know to be true is the way you integrate these applications together is going to change quite drastically. The, the product will need to be different. So let's assume that is going to happen and let's build a new product for that future. And, and we literally built a new product. I mean, we leveraged a bunch of assets from the on-prem software, some of our connectors, et cetera, but like really build a new product. And what I mean by that is really like cloud native, like multi-tenant, you know, really leveraging the things that were what we believe were going to matter. And the idea of being able to broker data from cloud applications, a lot of our customers in Boomi were using Salesforce, but then they had all this on-prem stuff, SAP down to QuickBooks, right? And so we said, all right, we'll build a new product make it cloud native. And now we are in a market with two other competitors, right? And so, so it changed a lot. The, the new problem then was it was early days. And so we were really searching to find the early adopters. But if you look at the traction of that product, much, much faster, and the business evolved much, much faster, you know, coming out of that bet. So replatform, re-architecture, and I would say like, kind of like bet on the future of where things were going to go and building towards that future. Who were the two competitors? So it was a company called Cast Iron, which ironically sold hardware appliances, which is kind of the opposite of a cloud-based approach, right? Um, but nonetheless, they were they were definitely a very viable competitor back then. And a company called Informatica, who's still around, who does a lot of enterprise kind of ETL type things, but they they also had built a a cloud-based offering as well. Those were the two we were kind of seeing in every deal in those in those early days. Was was MuleSoft in that sort of space, or were they a little bit more like SaaS integration? 
They not at all back then. Back then, they were an on-premise, open-source, what they called enterprise service bus. So their whole play back then was kind of the the Red Hat model. You know, open-source, free. You pay for maintenance services. They later became and are still today Boomi's number one competitor. They're now part of Salesforce, but um, became Boomi's uh, and are today Boomi's number one competitor. But that was a much later chapter. I, I want to say that was maybe twenty. 11 or 2012 or something they started doing more cloud things did did boomy win the category uh, at that time or was that uh the category wasn't really like big enough to be kind of one at that time or it's a it's a great question i i think there was a there was a defining moment that i think was huge for boomy after this launched and that was that gartner back to gartner gartner created a magic quadrant which you know, if you're in the enterprise software world, you probably know what that is, where they sort of rank all the vendors. They made a new one called Integration Platform as a Service. That's what we were calling ourselves. And they put us way upright, which is sort of like leader with, with most traction. You, you'd look at the early versions of that thing and you'd be like, that, you know, wow, there's a clear outlier here. And that was Boomi. That was huge because that became a big lead gen source for us. And Gartner was excited about the category. They were evangelizing it. They were using our customers to tell these iPad stories and events. I remember they did a big presentation on, on LinkedIn, which was an early Boomi customer, um, talking about all the great things they did using Boomi's cloud product. Yeah, And that just really, really solidified, I think, Boomi's perception in the market is kind of the innovator, the, the, the technology leader in kind of reinventing this space. Wow, that's cool. Um, so you didn't get so you did a hard pivot from the on-prem to the a cloud, and you didn't get did did uh, I'll ask did you get to one million ARR before or after that pivot? Uh, well, good question. We were a little bit over that, but there was no there was no RR in that. <laughs> There's no R in that revenue <laughs> um, because this was on-prem days, so we're selling True. perpetual yeah. license software. So yeah, we were around there. Um, but uh, new cloud product also meant new pricing model to your point, which was a subscription offering, ARR. We did, a, I think, a very risky thing, which was we, we came to market with a new unit of pricing that hadn't been done before, which was effectively the number of systems you want to connect together. We thought that was the closest attribution to value that we could monetize. And since then, the industry is really standardized on that. But um, you know, trying to rebuild the product and the pricing was um, hard, but but I think I think the to your point, like we're a cloud product. I think there's definitely a thing where like buyers look for patterns and familiarity in pricing, and so while the unit was different, the idea of a recurring revenue subscription, people were like, okay, that's how I pay for Salesforce, that's how I pay for Boomi. I think that that lined up, and I think it it got traction uh, once we figured that out. It's really cool. So um, the uh, there was traction on the on-prem, it sounds like, but when you guys flipped to that cloud model, and then it's it's so amazing those Gartner Magic Quadrants they uh, they they can really make or break a category or you know single companies. Uh, but that was like th that was like the oasis moment from what I heard in your story when you realized like all right we've. We found the water source. We can, you know, we can, <laughs> we can work with this here. <laughs> we found the water source. And then over the next two years, we end of life that on-prem product and we converted everybody over. And some people didn't want to make the conversion to cloud. Most did. I mean, it was, it was such a better user experience. It was such a better product all around. 
Um, but it was a hard choice. I mean, it was, it, you know, this was a burn the ships kind of decision, right? There was no going back from what we were doing. We felt like that was the right level of, of severity and, and, and decision making on this pivot because of that crowded market. So yes, that, that was the Oasis moment, definitely. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. Now let's flip to Guru and yes. uh, same same metaphor, same desert. Uh, you know, you put yourself out in the middle of the desert trying to find the water. What was that one like, and how was that different? Totally, uh, very different. <laughs> um, so with that one, I would say the early learning was this: like, like the the first obsession, like the first focus and obsession in North Star Metric for us was. Uh, active usage because we said look more important than how you create knowledge and how you manage it in a system like this if employees aren't using it to find what they need it's all academic right nothing else really matters and that we live the pain of low adoption etc so that was our north star metric and we said okay well what is the best way to to do that and i think the the what i would what i would say was like the first kind of product market fit there <clears throat> is this is a category of software, what you might call, you were naming it, the, the category thing is a lot blurrier in the guru days than it was then. You know, Some people will call it an intranet, some people call it knowledge management, knowledge-based wiki. But broadly speaking, these products are broad and horizontal. And the thing that we honed in on first, where we got that, to your point, that first kind of million in ARR, was focusing in on a specific team and buyer and a specific use case. And for us, that ended up being sales teams. Some of the, some of the reason behind that choice of sales teams was back in the boomy days. We had that lived experience. We saw sales reps flailing when they couldn't have a system like this to respond quickly to customers, you know, consistently positioned, et cetera. We said, okay, let's start there. We also had, you know, we could articulate and speak to the pain because of that lived experience. So we said, okay, we're going to start there. We're going to get really honed, really specific. We're going to start with tech sales teams, so software sales teams. Um, we're going to we're going to say, okay, once you get to figure this out, but like once you get to about twenty sales reps, this becomes a must-have. It's no longer a nice-have because you've got enough enough kind of need for repeatability and consistency. You can no longer just be like, hey, Brian, what? Uh, tell me about that competitor again because. Now you're getting hammered with like 20 reps. You can't, right? You need a system. And so we said, all right, we're going to do that. So we honed in on this very small addressable market, but but kind of intentionally because we're like, look, let's really kind of nail this first and then we can sort of build out from there. And so that that I think was the biggest, when I look back, Oasis moment, a lot of flailing to get there. I mean, we we you would see old, old, old versions of Guru that that launched that were much less opinionated on use case and and user and we're much more kind of like a modern wiki and sign you know to your point on plg sign up yourself try it convert buy it you know we were really experimenting with a lot of different go-to-market motions uh before we honed in on this and i'd say the other thing on that too is like not only was it like you know the use case and the team like i mentioned 
Um, also the go-to-market motion. I mean, it kind of, you know, somewhat ironically, because we really don't do this today, it was really an outbound centric thing because we were so focused on that market. We said, all right, we, we're, we, we know who these companies are. Let's find them, target them and prospect them. So we're literally doing like SDR, outbound emailing. Um, and that was the first kind of repeatability we built on. And you, uh, you've mentioned a couple of things like sales, like going, you know, having your sales teams, your SDRs, AEs doing demos on outbounds, uh, leads or out outbounds prospects. And then you mentioned products like growth, like which one works better? Was it definitely the, the SDR outbound approach that really, uh, kind of took you guys in, into motion? Um, I would say the PLG motion ultimately was better it ultimately scaled better. And that's why the thing with the SDR motion that we later learned over the years is um, it's tough to scale that, you know, you talked about price point differences and yeah, you can, you know, we have a, a, a our very small business segment, people sign up and buy three seats, right. And, and, and you can't really have a human involved in that kind of at all because you, you, you just can't, it will never scale. Um, and so what we later owned and figured out was was something that more assembled more resembled plg and i i think as the macro economies changed we've actually shifted with that which we can we can talk about that in a bit if you want but but yes i would say plg was was better for us because it could scale better we we, we we've effectively moved away from what i'd call any sort of like repeatable outbound sdr motion again mostly it's price points you know it's just not we, we just don't we we don't want to create this big um we don't want to force feed you by you know we ultimately want your whole company using guru but we don't want to force feed that on someone and oftentimes a small team starts and expands from there so so we really want to kind of like aligned to that customer journey versus trying to force fit a model that isn't going to scale. Just uh, for the listeners, PLG, uh, it's product-led growth. And essentially, it's a sales strategy used by SaaS companies, typically B2B SaaS companies, where uh, you know instead of trying to have a sales team go out and pitch your prospects and close deals through more of a traditional sales model, you let the product do the sales for you. And typically, it looks like a 14-day trial or a 30-day trial where you sign up, you get you know full access or some limited set of access to the product. You get to experience it and use it. There's uh, kind of like a really well-designed UX around the onboarding process so that you can really get your data in there quickly and easily and, and get the full benefit of the product in that trial period. Uh, now, back to back to our conversation. So I was listening to the All In podcast the other day, and they were talking about product-led growth as a strategy. And uh, one of the things they were talking about was, you know, if you do product-led growth too early you might actually be shooting yourself in the foot because in order for you to do product-led growth successfully, you actually need to really know who your ICP or ideal customer profile is. You need to really know what problems you're solving. You really, you really need to know exactly what process to guide them through to convert them. And if you try to do product-led growth too early, it might not be that the product's wrong. It might just be that your audience or your targeting or your ICP is wrong and you just need to like figure that out. Like the sales environment provides so much feedback. So even if you're losing money technically on your PL with your sales costs in the beginning, it it probably makes sense to still do that because the learning there is so valuable in the long-term roadmap of the business. I, to I totally agree. I mean, I would, I would say two things there that played out for us 
accidentally though. We we weren't like, hey, we're going to do this intentionally for that reason on the sales side. It was more the reason I said, like hone in on the addressable market, find those folks. But absolutely, we did learn. I would say it's like, yeah, everything you just said, how to pitch and frame the value. The other thing we did unscalably, you know, very early was we set up customer success humans very early at Guru and had them working on accounts that we knew we would never have a CSM working on it at scale. But but to your exact point, because I think there it's like you have this like, I'm going to log into your product. What are the steps until I have seen a first value moment? And that is, in my opinion, the whole thing with with PLG, like kind of like monetization, less important. It's like it's like if 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 there is not a to your point, detailed understanding of what has to happen from there to that activation moment where that team is like, oh, I see, I get this. I will come back and retain and do more with your product. Um, all is lost. And so, yes, I agree. It is. Vi- it, it is. It would have been very hard for us to do that without that qualitative input. Um, yeah, I think it's a great. It's a great call out. Yeah, cool. So um, now, one thing we didn't touch on for people listening is like the scale of Boomi and Guru. Uh, you know, they're they're both really impressive companies. Like you've you've reached some pretty impressive scale. Uh, whatever you're, you know, willing to share, whether it's like headcount, uh, any kind of like revenue or exit numbers, I think that that would be. You know, pretty uh, you know, pretty interesting for the listeners to kind of hear the scale of what you built with both of these companies. Yeah, um, well, it's a good question on Boomi. Um, I don't, I don't know how much Dell gets into some of the revenue specifics, but I mean, today it's up to fifteen hundred employees. Um, it was pretty small when we were acquired. I think we were about fifty employees when we were acquired. I think we had in the in the order of several hundred customers. Um, I stayed at Dell for about three years to really, you know, help help do what I could to make the Boomi business continue to thrive inside of Dell. And Dell later sold it out again, and it is now its own independent company again. Um, oh, I didn't know but, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, that that happened uh, maybe about two years ago. Um, and uh, and actually, there's a new CEO who took over um, after my successor. Um, named Steve Lucas uh, as of a few months ago. So yeah, they're 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 off to some great things now. Um, still headquartered here in the Philly area, um, and so uh, Guru uh, had is is sort of quite a quite a bit further along in 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 uh, compared to where Boomi was when we were acquired. We're about 150 employees now. Uh, we have something like 2,500 customers, ranging from VSB to you know, enterprises that are like Nike, DHL, um, Etsy, Shopify, uh, Spotify, a lot of kind of bigger tech brands um, use the company, use the, use the product. And so, so yeah, so I think we, um, we, you know, my aspirational goal is to, you know, to, you know, do what I could to make Guru more consequential, at least in the time that I was uh, employed there, but you know, so far so good. Cool, cool. So what's uh yeah, what's your vision for Guru? Like where do you see it uh where do you see it going? Yeah, totally. I mean, I can't I can't not answer this question and connect it to some of the AI things going on because we we sort of towards the end of last year really leaned in hard to the um uh, the things that large language models can do for a product like ours because you know, knowledge is is this untapped asset within companies and um it's it's 
hard with without uh, automation and capabilities like AI to sort of manually find knowledge and write it and share it and um, make sure people are using it and all of that. And, and, and we are just, um, I think, rapidly looking to reshape this category, this set of the set of categories, you know, get, get rid of that patchwork where companies need to have an internet and a wiki and a knowledge base and, and create what I think companies have always wanted, which is like a, a place for employees to go to get their questions answered. And, and I think that you like many ventures, right? You sort of have these pivotal technology moments and you sort of, they happen and then you go, Oh, okay, let's rethink those old problems in a new way. And so you know, the vision for the company has always been, you know, we want to give every every team in the world trusted information so they can do their best work. And that that part hasn't changed, but the how we go about doing it has changed. And so, you know, our, our vision is to leverage, you know, leverage AI natively into the product to help customers think about that entire life cycle, identifying what they need, you know, which is everything from like, pointing our pointing our system at slack channels and having it come back and say like Brian everyone keeps asking this question your team's getting bogged down turn that into you know knowledge so they don't have to go and bother humans in places like slack anymore um workflows around the writing experience you know let me get my raw thoughts in guru and then let guru reformat it put it into the customers like tone and brand guidelines and and styles they use for writing don't make me have to go and do that all manually right like like give me a true answer workflow where i can just ask a question and get an answer back um that's something we're working on now we're super excited about that because it's like boy if you can just not have to reconcile a whole bunch of search results and just get the person right to an answer and have credible sources underneath that um and then like how do you improve that flywheel to make it better? You know, and so so there it's like leveraging the all the data in Guru to say like, okay, you've got all this content now. Um, what happens when you need to change it? You know, and that's and that's a, a, I think another huge opportunity for us is that's very manual today. In in any system, you have to open up these documents and pages and change them and approve them. And we just think that whole thing can be streamlined. So we think they're. I really do think there is for our category, right? I'm 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 being very conscientious of 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 not getting into hype, but like where are the real actual use cases of technology like this that can be transformative for companies? I think in our category, th- there are amazing opportunities here that um I am like pretty pretty fired up about. So um timely, timely question, I think, because we've been really doubling down on our thinking there. With, with yeah, I mean, it's it's on. huge. This this AI platform revolution. It, it's a true platform revolution. Uh, like the metaverse thing. I you know that was hype. I think uh, Web three metaverse. You know NFTs. Like that was hype. Uh, but you know there it, it's it's not hard to see the real practical use case of AI. Uh, whether you're using like a open AI API or you know uh, products like Whisper or something, or if you're using uh, your own, if you're training your own models using TensorFlow, implementing it, it's, you know, deep inside your products, uh, it's not hard to see the real world use case of AI in business. And it's like, you know, think about think about with, you know, your, your two companies, Boomi, uh, in order for Boomi to succeed, you needed cloud platforms, you know, pre 2006, 2005, those didn't exist. Yeah. 
in order yeah. for Guru to exist, you needed browser extension ecosystems. And yeah. uh, but before browsers had extensions, you know, Guru couldn't exist. Yeah. So like AI is that is another, and I think even like more pivotal platform revolution that yes. will open up entire new categories, reinvent existing categories, and it's. Uh, it's uh, really exciting. Uh, there's obviously a lot of change that's going to come out of it, but uh, you know, you know, I have I have a tech services company, so we build software for for clients, and uh, you know, we've already been implementing it for a lot of different things, and like the use cases are just wild. Like some of it's just simple, wow. you know, implement the G, the GPT three five API and just like process some data and then just use it for you know, storing or categorizing data in a database, like really simple use cases. And then other use cases are like, you know, for instance, we had a client that has this one manual process that they can never get to, but it's really important. And it takes like two man years of uh, effort every year. And, uh, and it's like extremely time intensive. They don't even like fully, uh, you know, if different people are doing the process, the results can be pretty wildly different. Uh, depending on who does it and, you know, just when they do it and I guess whatever mindset they're in while they're doing the process. Oh boy. And uh, so we like kind of codified that process for them and got that two man years of human time spent down to about like two to three hours of processing, which costs roughly, you know, it was like $15 in, <laughs> in compute on open AI. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. But like, the, these are the stories to your point, right? I mean, these are the story. This is why when you were talking about other examples, and you sort of look back, like, yeah, it's kind of hype, because it, it it ends up feeling inaccessible, or or it's great in theory, but when you go and try and do it, right? But, but the fact that the stories like you just told, um, the customer can would repeat that story back. It's not just you telling it, right? They'd say the same thing. And I can only imagine how much value that must have brought to them. Um, but this is, yeah, the, the, the fact that it is accessible, the fact you can see these stories, the fact that that any human can log into a chat GPT and start interacting with it and experience it on their own, I think that's how we sort of go, okay, there is something real here. There's not, this isn't one of those technically opaque, inaccessible things where we think it might be good, but we aren't really sure. This is like, no, you can... In five minutes, you can be like, whoa, there's like, there's something to this. Yeah, I agree with you. Hypothetically, let's just say, you know, you exited Guru, you're out, you're ready to do, you know, you take the proverbial six, six months to go travel, you know, hang with the family, whatever. Uh, and you're ready to do it again. What would you do if you were going to build another one right now? What, what would you do? It's a good question. I don't, uh, put you on the know. spot. <laughs> Maybe. Well, no, it's a totally fair question, but, um, you know, it's one of those, like, I'd probably give you a different answer next week. But I, I think, I think I will tell you what I would love to do again, just to change it all up again. Right. Like, like, like most of my, we've talked about this, most of my, you know, passions and interests um, is revolves around music. And yeah, we were talking think, about that uh, uh -huh. the uh, at Chris Wink's thing. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think most, I think there are, with with well, relative few exceptions, there is tremendous technology opportunity to put more of the power back in the hands of the artists. And uh, if I were going to do that, if I were going to do something today, uh, and and had the the privilege of of choice, 
um, I would really see if I could do something like that. And as long as it didn't change my relationship with music, which is like, I, I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to regret it. Like, you know, like you, you, you love a thing and then you go into the industry of it and you're like, Oh, now it's, you know, as long as that didn't happen, like, like I'd love to do something there. Yeah. Music is like an effed up industry though, man. It's uh, you know, it's been through so many changes. I mean, look at back at uh, it all started with uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Sean Parker uh napster yeah. and napster, uh the whole yeah. the whole uh, metallica thing you know the lawsuits there and then that that was like that was like the start of i think there was always cracks in the foundation of the music industry and that was kind of like the moment when you know the the kind of the the tower started to, to crumble and fall down yeah uh you know and then totally. there's been so many changes like spotify now which i think sean parker is also involved in, in some way uh i think he's an investor or something and you've got like you know all these streaming services and i've seen you know one of my favorite bands is Queensryche. uh you know uh the the new singer todd latore he's uh he, he's pretty big on social media and he'll go on and up he'll upload like his his royalty check from spotify he's like hey check out i got 150 dollars from spotify for our uh you know or like 200 you know whatever like 200,000 plays that we got yesterday or whatever yeah 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 no, exactly. I think it's all it, it's um, and then and then add the idea of of um, artist licensing and right. And now you're starting to see like AI driven recreations of songs and you're starting to see some artists be like, cool, let's go. Let's split royalties. Other artists going like, no, you can't do that. Record labels like I don't even understand this. Like there's something there. Right. And like I think there is like a bit of a. I don't know anything about any of how the industry side works, but, but I think there's something to that. Like, like there's this, like certainly in the enterprise software world, there's this adage of like, if you knew the category you were getting into before you went into it, would you actually go into it? Cause, <laughs> cause it's like the fresh eyes look and benefit of rethinking the problem, but also like all the warts that you sort of, if you already know about it could just sort of like terrify you. So um, I don't know. It's also it be just being like dumb uh, to the industry, the rules lets you go in and not have uh you, you kind of said like not have the preconceived notions of how it's supposed to be done but it also it also uh you're not scared to go into it because you don't you're not afraid of like what you have to overcome and there's something else i'm trying to say it's like escaping me but uh it's almost like you make mistakes that turn out to be you know like uh like Bob Ross, like happy little accidents that, you know, you make mistakes that turn into actual wins down the road. I, yeah, I, exactly. I think, I think that's, yeah, I think that's exactly right. So who knows, but uh, the thought, the thought of another one is not anything that it gets any recurring uh, real estate in my brain at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Rick, this is an awesome episode. Uh, anything you want to close on before we hop off or, uh, no, I mean, I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm always available uh, online, LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm, I'm easy to I'm easy to find uh, Rick Nucci. And so uh, so we'd love to connect if anyone wanted to hear anything more about some of the uh, mistakes we made or the uh, accidentally good decisions or the good decisions. I'm, I'm happy to share. So I appreciate it, Brian. Cool, man. Thanks for coming on. Well...